version of the Toll Network. This is Laser Knees number 114. Uh, that new machine. I'm Aleph. And I'm Sono, and this is Machine Sentai Cure Major, Episode 7, Training for You, and Episode 8, The Lightning Speed Express, which keeps bringing me back to Tokyo. I mean, it, it'd be hard not to go there, dude. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is called Machine Express, and those are Tokyo words. But our writer for both of these episodes is Gusanjo, I guess. Our episode director for both is Takemoto Noboru, and I'll admit, Gusanjo caught me off guard, but here he is. That's fair, though, because you never expect that dude when he's not the head writer. And honestly, yeah. even when he is the head writer, you're still kind of surprised he's there. Uh, Riku Sanjo is best known as the lead writer for Kamen Rider Double, and Kamen Rider Drive, as well as Kyoryuger, but his time with Toei actually goes back to Maji Ranger, where he was apparently in charge of planning the magic spells that were used. Really? Which is certainly a job on that show. Yeah, I mean, uh, like, they kept him consistent. It's actually very impressive if you go back and watch. Yeah, no, there, there are specific combinations of the sounds that they make that are for specific spells, and they were on top of that, so good on him for that, I guess. <laughs> He also wrote 18 episodes of Kamen Rider Forza, apparently. Dang. Um, including some really good ones. He wrote Shannon Tomoko's introduction arcs. Uh, he wrote the prom arc. Like, he wrote some good episodes of Forza. Really did. Those are, yeah, those are some classics. Um, I admit I've got mixed feelings about Riku Sanjo, and they sum up basically to the fact that he's not great at writing an ensemble cast, which is impressive with how much of Forza he wrote really well, but that also remains my big criticism of him here today. Yeah. So. <laughs> so just, uh, you know, we're, we're gonna put a pin in that and just keep going back to that pin to, uh, hammer it in. I, I, yeah. Like, I realize when you put a pin in something, you're gonna take it out later, but we're just gonna keep putting more pins in it, because mm, he, he's not great at it. It really is the, uh, sticking point for these two episodes. Mm. Uh, Takemoto Noboru, on the other hand, has a career that dates all the way back to 1997 with Toei, where he directed uh, a couple episodes of Car Ranger and Mega Ranger. Dang. Then he directed an episode of Time Ranger in 2000, and then from Gow Ranger in 2001 all the way to Q Ranger in 2017, he directed an average of 10 episodes of every single Sentai for 16 years. Dang, that is well impressive. Yeah, he was absent for Lupot and Reeve Soldier, and I don't know why. It's none of my business. But he has returned for Kira Major, and if he was directing, you know, on average 10 episodes of a Sentai from 2001 to 2017, he and Arakawa have crossed paths a few times. Once or twice, yeah. So I figure he'll probably be back uh, for about that many this time. An average of 10. <laughs> Uh, he also directed the movies for Maji Ranger, Goanger, and Tokyuger. Oh, dang. As well as Gosager vs. Shinkenger, Zuoger vs. Ninja, and 199 Heroes. Oh, very nice. I love that yeah. one. Yeah. So the dude is basically an unstoppable juggernaut of directing Sentai. And boy, I hope no one does stop him, because like, I don't know which episodes he directed, but if he directed... He probably directed a couple episodes I like, is what I'm saying. Just It's pretty likely. Yeah, just sheer sheer numbers-wise during that chunk of Sentai, yeah, I probably liked at least one. The average of 160 episodes. Yeah. But, you know, let's we'll 
now just take a second, pull away from the things we are enthused about, because, like, I'm actually kind of enthused about Takamoto Noguro. But uh, let's just get to things that are a little more the imperfections in these gems. Yeah. And uh, talk about our problems and nitpicks this time around. Okay, so feels little weird to me that four grown adults who are supposed to be this kid's friend would not notice the sheer level of distress their constant heavy air quotes training is putting Juru through. I mean, I get that all of them are in really physical and technical disciplines while Juru's is a little more mental. And I get that they want to help Juru with the side where he would supposedly be weaker. And I'd be kind of fine with the idea of all of them watching that TV show and coming up with the idea to train him separately and not realize that all of them are doing this. Where, like, if he trained with Senna for a while and then tried to go home and ran into to Shiguru on the way, and then Shiguru trained him, and he just didn't actually bring up that all of them were doing this, I, I'd kind of be more okay with it. Yeah. Because they wouldn't all realize that they're doing this, but having the four of them conspire to push Juru to his limits feels very strange when two of the four of them are in very practice and training heavy fields and would know the importance of physical recovery time. And one is a real, actual doctor who does not show any concern when they're talking about cutting the time he'd have for sleeping. Yeah, that was that was a bit that hit me, because, I mean, like, look, I actually kind of like the idea of, hey, let's let's help him out, shore him up on these things he might be good at, because we're worried about him and don't want him to, you know die in these fights with the terrible, horrible monsters. You know, you can help him be a more solid fighty boy, but, I mean, come on, guys. (laughs) That kind of practice is what, like, little kids think practice means, or or really super anxious uh, kids in, like, high school doing studying. Which, I mean, and I guess that's why they're showing it this way, but at the same time, like you said, Sono, what adult, especially an adult in a field which requires a lot of training and study, isn't going to know that the, the, that the again, heavy air quotes, training regime they're suggesting would not only kill the kid, like, first off, this would make him die, but even if it didn't, it would undo everything they've trained him into, because there's no time for his body to repair the damage all this physical training's done, because, like... It's just going to be his muscles tearing themselves apart and eventually just not working anymore because there's they don't have time to stitch back together because it's the stitching back together that makes them stronger. Yeah, like, I'm just, I'm really bothered that when Shiguru is like, okay, he'll do his, like, eight hours of school and then we each get three hours with him and then he only has to sleep for three hours a night and... Sayo's only objection to this is that he tries to take an extra hour, and not that a high schooler, or anyone, can't survive on three hours of sleep a night, especially when being subjected to 12 hours of physical training on top of the rest of his life. Like, girl, you're a doctor. You're a doctor. What? Yeah, a, a literal Why would MD. you not say anything? 
Like, at least Mabushina tries to stick up for him and is like, hey, why don't you ask him if he's okay with this thing you're deciding? Yeah, and even- Like, at least someone is trying. Right? Even The Rock, who does not have human physiology to the best of our understanding, knows how bad an idea this is. Like, I, I thought y'all were experts. And I get that Juru wants to at least try and do this training because he loves and respects his teammates and he appreciates that they want him to be the best he can be. But something about, like, him having to run away and, like, hide with the, the big Kirame stones and they're all just like, oh yeah, this is great, we wish we could do this, you should do this even if you're unhappy about it. Like, something about that just didn't sit right. Yeah, no, it- because it's, it's bad. Because if, if they had tweaked this as all, like, Juru learning an important lesson in setting boundaries while the Kirame Stones are, are trying to get him to calm things down or trying to talk the rest of the crew into giving things a rest, that'd be one thing. But Juru just keeps pushing through because he feels self-conscious about the more obviously physical things the rest of the team can do. But just... The way they frame it is just not great. Because it is the show basically saying to kids, hey, do whatever everyone around you tells you to do, and you do it with a smile, even if it makes you unhappy and or uncomfortable. And and then you add in to their kind of being a cultural thing about people working themselves to death in Japan. I don't know if that's just an urban myth, but I've I've, I've heard it brought back up in a lot of different places it's just and then there's just general workplace exploitation and like this is not a message kids need man (laughs) no and i feel like this is a misunderstanding that could work between two or maybe three characters i feel like it's a misunderstanding that like happened within double somewhere to some extent um, because a lot of early double is shotaro and philip trying to understand each other because Shotaro was very physical and Philip was very mental. And that, you know, that's what made them work, but they had to learn to make that work. But when you extend this conflict to five characters and then to more characters from there, because we're involving Mabushina and the Kirame Stones, so, you know, at that point we're up to 11 characters. It feels like another one of those things where Riku Sanjo is better with small groups or pairs than large groups. Oh, absolutely. He's, it's not a thing he's great at. I mean, uh, even if we didn't have this, we could point to Drive, because that was one of many, many failings in Drive. Yeah, I mean, you can point to the Sentai that he led, which is really the only one I can think of that is universally not necessarily disliked but that everyone is just kind of eh about well that's good to hear because i just I've, I've always got the impression that uh kyoryuja is one of those ones that a lot of people really loved oh really i um, i could just i mean I, I i don't know anyone who outright dislikes it i know a lot of people still enjoyed things about it there's things i enjoyed about it um, there's things in Kyoryuja that I love, but I, it's, I don't, and I'm sure there are people where it's their favorite Sentai and there's nothing wrong with that. I will never tell you that you are wrong for having that as your favorite Sentai. 
but I've never heard anyone tell me it's their favorite. Oh, I could also have been misunderstanding people, but just, I always hear it talked about in very, like, glowing terms, and I've never entirely understood why, but, you know, that's, that's, like you said, that's not a judgment, that's just, like, where I'm at. I mean, if I'm going to talk about it, I'm probably only going to bring up the things I liked. Um, it had a great blue. It had a couple of fun villains. Uh, their gold was, was a lot of fun. It had some pretty okay design work. But as a whole show, I thought it was kind of weak and lukewarm. But it's, it's just not a thing where he's good at writing five or six characters at a time. And I think that's the thing with Forze, where, like, when he wrote, like, the prom arc, that's only about three characters. Yes, everyone else is just kind of there to be the, the peanut gallery or the Greek chorus. Yeah, like, it's mostly about Shun and Miyu, and then Gentaro is an important character within it. Where, you know, the conflict is essentially between two characters. And in, you know, in Tomoko's introduction arc, the conflict is essentially between two characters, her and Gentaro. In Shun's introduction arc, it's, again, mostly Shun and Gentaro. And then even, and then he has uh, all the bits he can crib off of the Breakfast Club to fill in the rest. Yeah, and, like, the B-plot of that is entirely just Miu and Jake. Mm. Oh, I love that bit. So it's, it really, that's really an incredible bit. And it's, he's much better when he can divide things into smaller, like, chunks of groups. So, you know, I'm wondering if they gave him an episode that was about a specific Kira Major instead of this big, kind of more plot-relevant episode. Uh, If maybe he would do a little better. Yeah, I I think that... That tracks pretty well. Um, also bugged by Tomitomo calling Juru's art doodling when it's the whole reason they have literally every iteration of their robots. Right? Is because he thought of a cool robot and drew it on a piece of paper. Yeah. Like, you could understand the disrespect for creative work in, like, episodes one and two, maybe. I mean, I wouldn't understand it, but I get it, if you know what I mean. But... I would get it coming from Shiguru. Yeah. Not so much Tametomo, because he's a gamer. That's true. And therefore, art is a very big part of his career. Yeah. Where Shiguru, I could see being a little, like, weirder about it. Mm. And I guess from Tametomo, I could get it in the first couple episodes, because he's got that whole, like, leader jealousy thing going on. Yeah, kind of a chip on his shoulder. But right. Especially since... Like, now it definitely Especially since, like, him and, and Juru, they started out with Juru doesn't get his thing either. Yeah. Because, like, that, honestly, I kind of wish they would have kept that going. I appreciate that they didn't, but if they wanted a conflict, that would have been a good one. But, like, again, you could understand it in the first couple episodes. But since then, Juru has been literally changing the nature of their reality with those doodles. Like, hey, we found some Kira May stones that are, are young and immature. Oh, hey. I just turned them into, like, a steamroller, a forklift, and I forget what the other one was. Like, I think it was, like, a flatbed truck. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Like, he just did that on accident. Well, I mean, it wasn't on accident, but he... It's like, oh, I thought it was cool, guys. Sorry. I guess I can't unmake them cool. Oops. 
but it's just like, sh- like show some respect. Why wouldn't he have yeah. respect? Again, this, like you said, he's pulling robots out of thin air with these things. It, it seems pretty cool to me. And like, speaking of that, this is going under the bad stuff because it's a bad feel that I know very well. Juru being unable to draw because he's too exhausted by being forced to shelve his creativity to meet the needs of others is a form of burnout uh, that I've lived through, that I'm only in the past, like, six months recovering from. So it's just, it's made me very worried for him. That, like, it just, it was upsetting and worrying that they put him through that. No, yeah, I, uh... That is also a familiar thing for for your boy. But yeah, on top of just wrecking the kid, they're also destroying the thing that makes him a part of the team. And that's just... And of course, like you said, the the longer term stuff. Because while I I imagine we aren't going to talk about creative burnout in an episode, I kind of wish we would. Because that'd be... I kind of wish we would because it's, you know, it's a core part of the show. Yeah, that's what this kid does and i mean i realize that cure mentality is supposed to be like your superpower but yo sometimes it feels like you can use that up like if you're not keeping your head on straight and you don't have a good supportive environment sometimes it can it can really just boy that's gonna get uncomfortably real and then i i say we move on uh so i'm slightly confused by the fact that the rest of the Kira Majors couldn't see Juru's hallucination of their new robot, but Garza could? Like, can Garza see it because it's his brother's ghost showing up to give him a big ol' middle finger? I mean, I just sort of, yeah, that's a good question. I, like, first off, I was just, at first I just assumed it was Ultraman, but, you know, that's not a, a crossover that can actually happen here. You know, giant made of light, what am I supposed to think? But I just I also took it as Garza also having that powerful imagination or, or something like that. Shrug. Like they, they this is a thing that they share so they can both see the vision. But on the other hand, like if it is his brother showing up to flip the bird to him, like dude did kill him. <laughs> like like if someone killed me, I hope I have the wherewithal to come back from the dead to just flip them the bird every now and again when they're in the middle of doing something they want to do. Oh, hey, you want to kill that kid? I hope you can feel this because I'm doing it as hard as I can. But then, like, when Drew passes out and it vanishes, Gars is like, oh, that's his power. So, like, if that's the case, why can Garza see it but no one else can? Something in that just feels very weird. Yeah, I mean, you ain't wrong. You are not wrong. It's just... Even if it's a thing for magic Imagineers to do, I just... Yeah, you are correct. It, it hits weird. I feel like that's probably, like, one of the notes that Arakawa left behind, and he's just like, Man, alright. Like, I just... I don't see why everyone else couldn't just also see it and be like, Hey, what's that? Yeah, that honestly would have made a lot more sense. Because either that or, like, really play up the fact that it's only the two of them who can see it and make that a thing we'll come back to later in the show. But they didn't make as big a thing of it as you'd think they would. Yeah, and, like, it seemed like the monster could also see it because he also stopped attacking. Yeah, which... Oh. It's it's just a little... a little weird. It is. 
So as cute as Juru and Oridin drawn together is, I'm mega bothered by Oridin going, yeah, you're exhausted and your friends didn't consider your needs and you definitely just blacked out in battle and if you weren't in a robot, you'd probably be dead. But that's led you to a good outcome, so you should just take it. Like, no. Bad dad. That's not the lesson to teach the children. It really isn't. Like, look, not for nothing, Orden seems like a chill dude in many other ways, but things working out okay in the end doesn't mean it's cool that you got hurt. That is also a really uncomfortable thing to put in children's media, you know? <laughs> like, I, I'm not saying Sanjo's a bad person or anything. I just wish someone would have brought that up, because all's well that ends well might be good good for, like, big picture thinking. And I think it is. You know, it's 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 a good way to look at things, but also you do have to, like, zoom in on the means that got you to the ends, because they don't justify each other necessarily. Because, like, if you got fatigued to the level of passing out where you sit, the fact that you didn't die doesn't make getting behind the wheel okay. Like, I remember my first graveyard shift job. Like, it was it was 8pm to 8am, and I was just out of high school, so I that was like a complete inversion of my schedule. But one day I came home, and I had no memory of anything between getting in my car and pulling into the driveway. And I don't know if I slept the whole way back, or just dissociated the whole way back, but, uh, my takeaway was not, oh, hey, I got home, so it's cool. My takeaway was, I need to take ca better care of myself and make sure I am properly awake, or I am going to literally die and take a few people with me due to my negligence. Like, All's Well That Ends Well is great the first time, but also, it only ends well if you then take steps so that you don't have to do this stuff again. Yeah, it uh, reminds me of the end of my thesis, uh, which I've definitely talked about before. It's the one that almost killed me. Um, where, you know, we it was the day we were turning them in and the department chairman was coming to see them. Uh, our class was at 9am and it was just 15, 20-somethings, myself included, just laying on the floor in the hallway groaning because none of us had slept in a month. And I feel like there was an intended, like, look on the bright side of your bad situation thing in, like, the planning of these episodes that is okay-ish on paper, but really did not work in the final execution because it really didn't come across. It did not. Because, especially since the bad situation in question is your entire friend group thinks you suck and wants to dissolve your sense of boundaries so you can become like all of them in some way, which, that's not cool, to put it mildly. That's, that's like all your friends trying to make you into a really incredible codependent, uh, which, hey, I don't know if anyone, out, anyone else out there has issues with codependency. I sure do. Um, it's not fun. It's not good for you. Doesn't help your self-esteem. Doesn't make you better at anything. So just, um, yeah, whatever they were planning, they, like, unless they were planning some deeply uncomfortable stuff, 
uh, they didn't get there. But thankfully, that's basically it for for the the flaws in these gems. So um, let's let's get to the the facets, the the good things, the stuff we enjoyed. I don't know. I like coming okay, up so with pun names for these for the sections of the show. It's, I'm working on you're it. You're better at it. it than I am. I look. I left that one to you at the beginning of the show because I couldn't come up with any. So I don't know if we've talked about this, but the conversations between Garza and Carantula? Is that his name? I guess his name is. The red guy? I get, that is, yeah, when I looked it up, that's what they said his name is. Carantula. Um, okay. Uh, their conversations feel so much like 90s Sentai villains. Like, it's so weird and calm and just kind of dropping the exposition for what we're going to fight today. Yeah, that's really, uh, like, you hadn't brought that up, but, I mean, that is basically how they do. I, I quite like it. Like, Garza on his own is so intimidating as a villain when he's actually involved in, like, fighting the Kira Majors, but when they're just in the weird, damp void, he's just like, hey, buddy, how's it going? Cool monster you got there. What are we doing today? Where are we dropping? And just something about it has that weird old Sentai charm, and I'm very fond of it. And maybe it's just because Carantula has that, like, half face, where he's got, like, an actual human mouth. Maybe maybe it's that, I don't know, but something about it has that charm. I, I really hope. And it's doing it for me. I really hope that we keep the thing where we have people with actual human face mouths being monsters, because I, I miss that. And like, look, it's it's not quite as as weirdly old school as like playing a synthesizer to make a monster, because that's a way one of I forget what show it was, but that's the way one of the bad guys did it. There's a dude who just straight up gets in front of a synthesizer and he he plays a monster into being on his genetic keyboard. It's very weird, um, but at the same time. It's, it is a really snazzy way to intro the monster. And I also quite like how easily you could make it into a workplace comedy. Hey, that's a free idea for the net movies. You're welcome. Like, when I think about them, my brain immediately goes to the villains in Die Ranger. And I'm not quite sure why, because it's been a long time and I don't remember exactly what their dynamic was, but I feel like they, too, just kind of stood in a weird place and were like, we're gonna get them this time! Until the end of the plot happened, because that I do remember, and that was very weird. I mean, and look, there's a lot of Sentai out there, and sometimes you just, you associate a feel with one of them. So, I mean, maybe it's Die Ranger. I I kind of remember that's how some of the Shinkenger monsters happened, but not all of them, so. I do have to say, I'm, like, looking back on, on a lot of Sentai... I quite like the ones where they just exist in a weird dimension. I realize that's almost all of them, but some of them have more charming other worlds than others, I guess. Like, some of them don't feel like they're in a weird dimension. Like, I know in Lupot they were, but also they were just in a house. Or, or Zhuoger. It's like, yeah, I know you're in a spaceship, but also you, you might as well just be in, like, a hunting lodge. And not even, like, a cool- not even a hunting lodge, it was just a room. And not, like, an interesting room. Like, this- this feels like it should be the least interesting, because it's just a black void with water on the floor. 
but something about that is just so weird. Yeah, especially since there's like there's little flapping flags, and they just keep walking out from behind the flags. What's behind those flags? I don't know. And just just something about it feels so like active and sinister, like like they're living in the chest cavity of their emperor or something, because. He yeah, doesn't, it doesn't, you can just live in there because he doesn't have a heart. Yeah, and it's, like, we know so little about them that the Void kind of adds to that mystery, where we knew so much about the Zuoger villains from, like, the minute they arrived, that their room was just boring and didn't seem to suit them. Man, there were so many great villains in Zuoger that just nothing happened. Literally all of the villains in Zuoger were great, except the main boss, who dragged everyone down. Yeah. Man, remember this sumo episode where you just, you saw uh, Naria and the box guy just, like, chilling together, having a drink, watching the sumo yeah, match? Yeah, having, 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 having a beer, watching sumo. That was great. That was the most that they ever got to do. Which, like, man... Naria had gunchucks. How did we, like, how was she not a bigger presence? Gunchucks and honestly just a great design. Naria was so wasted. It was a tragedy. Anyway, let's let's move on. Otherwise, we're just going to keep <laughs> talking about Zuoger. And we, we spoke our year on Zuoger. We, can, we should probably let that one go. Yeah. But my greater concerns about the framework of this episode aside, I do like that we bring back that Sayo studies Aikido as part of Juru's training. Um, Because in her episode, it was unclear if she had actually continued with that past childhood. And it was really nice to see that she has a hobby outside of work. Um, Because, I mean, hers is... It's physical because she does have to perform these very precise acts upon people as a surgeon but it's also very very mental so it's kind of nice to see that she's got kind of a a dedicated physical activity to balance out her very mental workload um and it's also a martial art that really suits sayo because i was just kind of curious uh because i don't know a lot about aikido so i kind of looked it up just to talk about it for this um and the basic principle is to defend oneself without causing injury to your attacker or to like defend your attacker against harm which is a neat detail that feels really purposeful when given to a character whose entire thing is that they want to save people from injury yeah like i i don't know how it works in japan but i definitely like the idea that sayo takes the hippocratic oath quite seriously like right up until a marshman wants to start you know, murdering people to summon the giant city destroying beastie because, like, look, there's do no harm, there's do no harm, and then there is not being a Super Sentai member, and like, she's definitely do no harm, and also, like many of our favorite common riders, she takes exactly zero crap. I love her. I mean, she does. She comes out a common rider. She knows. She knows how the stuff works. Um, I really dig on the designs of the twin oven and freezer marksman. 
I think the way they use the oven door's jaw and the icicles' teeth and just kind of the whole way they're designed is really cute and clever and also feels very kind of old school Sentai monster. Um, like, we've had a lot of really cool monster designs up to this point, but these two, these two dudes just really stuck out to me. Oh, yeah, they're amazing. I, I also love them a lot, especially with that whole, like, on top of their dynamic, on top of the good designs, like, the first time they stepped out, it's like, oh, it's Heat Miser and Cold Miser. That's great. Um, and then you, you combine how much character you can give these monsters just through the use of, of one of those big, kind of doofy-looking cartoon heads and a skilled suit actor, because... Sure, yeah, you. it's never quite the Momotaros thing where it's like you remember them having emotions and stuff, but dang, those were great masks, helmets, whatever. Yeah, and I mean, like, dude, the whole bit with, like, the bottle of Coca-Cola, whatever that was, <laughs> he just like, where he's, like, head. chugging it and just, like, throws it, like, that was great. That was so well acted. Yeah, it really was. It shouldn't work. And yet... Also, I like that Tom was like, hey, they did a roll call. We should do our roll call and show them that ours is better. Like, I just think it's cute when the show gets genre savvy. Yeah, absolutely. And not to mention, I, again, I really like them having a roll call because it's another thing that really makes them stand out as, as the villains of the week. They feel bigger because they have a roll call. Yeah, and then immediately contrasting you know, the team doing their roll call and going into the team pose, which is a sign of unity, to the marksmen immediately beating each other up over who's stronger was just really fun and clever and, you know, kind of showed the disunity on their side. Yeah, and again, we we said our piece about the imperfections in this show and with Riku Sanjo's writing overall, but look, when he gets it, he gets it so right. Very few people when they nail it, nail it as hard as he does. Just Yeah, it's it's really baffling how how either he gets it really right or really wrong. Yeah. But you know, I mean they they can't all be winners. It's just he's he's really great with like dialogue and little nuances of relationships, but setups for group conflicts are not his strength. Like honestly I think he's one of those writers and I do not mean this in a as as like this is a bad thing to be. He's one of those writers where I feel like if you put him with the head writer and someone is supervising him, Riku Sanjo can bring in so many beautiful moments that will make this thing so much better. But if you just leave him on his own to do whatever, he will just flounder. <laughs> he just he can't. He can do it, but he can't do it as well as if he's working with someone to bounce things off of. That's the impression I get from just watching the stuff. And again, that's not a negative judgment. That's just, I. that seems to be the way he makes better art, and I want him to make the best art he can. Anyway, moving on. Sorry, I just... Um, I do appreciate Shiguru and Sayo, like, getting distracted during the fight when they see Juru using their training and then, you know, get hit for not paying attention. Yeah. Uh, Deserve that a little bit? Oh, just a bit. Just a bit. And I also like 
that the way that they're so proud of it implies that, like, maybe it was never a wholly selfless endeavor on any of their parts. Which, you know, that's that's a good thing to let us know. But I'm also still bugged that no one, and especially Sayo, because she's a doctor, noticed any of his early signs of fatigue during that fight? Because he showed a lot of them? Yes, he really did. And someone should have said, like, a single thing. She's a doctor! An MD. A medical doctor, man. Like, come on. I realize that, okay, she's a surgeon, maybe she doesn't do diagnoses, but still, I feel like someone would have covered this in the first year. What? But I mean, like, she does... She, like, does that stuff after he passes out. That's true, yeah. Well, then, yeah. Like, she runs an examination on him after he passes out, so... I feel like she should definitely be aware yeah. of these things. Uh, but using the Oven and Freezer brothers' over-competitive nature to play into Garza's hatred of his own brother was a really cool little story beat. Yeah. And the twist of him actually helping the brother he felt was the strongest, despite the fact that that was the older brother, was actually a really cool plot reveal that shines some light on Garza's thought process. Because he doesn't just hate his brother in a Scar-esque line of ascension way. It really is specifically about power and strength and his brother having abilities that he doesn't and he has to prove he's the strongest and will only side with those he sees as the strongest. And I gotta believe that's why they asked Sanjo in for these episodes because, look, got complaints about the rest, those moments... He nails. Yeah, because one thing Riku Sanjo is good at is complicated, uncomfortable family dynamics. He's really good at that. So handing Garza to him to explore his resentment toward his brother through the lens of these two, that was a good idea. And to give it, like, I've got to give Riku Sanjo that looking down on their siblings for having the fortune of being born first is such a good line. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. And honestly, like, Sono, I know you're a fan of Double, so maybe I'm off base here, but maybe they should just have Sanjo focus on writing villains. He could be, like, a supervillainy consultant or something to just make sure the baddies are, are like, real on some level, because, being honest... The bits exploring how the Sonazaki clan was just super messed up were my favorite parts of Double. Like, I I feel terrible because I just, I do not have it for Philip, Philip and Shotro, but if you gave me one about uh, the, the Wakana, about Wakana and, oh goodness, what was the other sister? Uh, Seiko. Seiko. Yeah, give me their show. I, I wanted, I wanted that so much. Like, he's real good at uncomfortable dynamics where people are unhappy with one another. I liked many parts of Double. I love all of the Narumi Agency stuff. But even that, come, even a lot of what I loved there comes from conflicts between characters. Akiko trying to figure out what happened to her dad and Shotaro not wanting to tell her. All of the conflict between, like, Excel and Shotaro and Philip, Like... Philip learning how to person, like, those are really the things that stick out there. And, you know, I love the Sonozaki stuff, that's my whole dang brand. 
but I think that Sentai, which has a lot of, it has a lot less gray area than Rider does. It's got, and you know, this isn't a problem. It's just it's less nuanced than Rider is. Yeah, that's just the, the nature of the, the beast. The good is good, and the evil is is evil. And you know, there is some nuance to that because we've got redeemed villains in Sentai, but the line is a lot more clearly delineated than it can be in Rider. So if he's on Sentai, maybe he should just stick to the villains. I mean, yeah. Again, this is not a negative judgment on him as a person or as an artist. It's just he's really good at them villains. Because Garza was never cooler. <laughs> and and it's not even that he can't redeem a villain, because, again, Kyoryuger... One of the most interesting plot lines in that show is what he does with one of the villains and the blue. Like, that's one of the most interesting storylines in that show, is the two of them developing a relationship. Sounds very sweet, because, like, I, I know the ones who, who show up in later, I think it was the, the Gavin and Gokaiger movie. And it's like, oh, hey, those they're villains from that one. At least I think they were in that one. Yeah, if it's if it's the lady, it's the lady with the big heart for a head. Yeah, and then like the weird ragdoll one. Uh, yeah, no, she like he does a whole like romance plot with her and the blue. Maybe that wasn't good. And it's really sweet and is one of the most interesting and compelling parts of that show. So it's like he can write really dynamic villains. Yes. So maybe that's just what he should be doing. Look, I'm. I'm just saying, it'd be a clever thing to do. Let him do that. Arakawa does the A-plots. He's over there handling the villains. They can intersect, come together, bounce things off each other. I just think it'd make for a more powerful show. Like, I'm not saying it's yeah. even bad the way it is. I'm just saying, I can see what I think he's better at. Um, though I feel like the fact that this conflict involves pairs of brothers just kind of feeds into my theory that he's not great at exploring relationships between more than two to three people at a time. Yeah, like, I wanna, I wanna, like, add more nuance, but that is it. Like, give him, give him the drama where two or three people gotta work out their uncomfortable family dynamics, and we'll cut then to the, to, like, two people in those families and them just showing their uncomfortable dynamics, and, like, it'd just be really good. But he he has to write the conflict for the five Sentai and, and their, their big rock friends, and it's not, not quite so good. Um, having the alternating burning and freezing attacks make the Kirame stones brittle to weaken the robot was actually a really cool plan. Mm. Um, I like when Sentai incorporates some real-world stuff into how the monsters and robots, like, do their big superpower battles. And it also drives home that these are more than your usual big metal robots. It, it makes a great joke in the next episode, because, hot dang, do I love them just trying to polish down the cracks. Because, like, is that how rocks work, or gems work anyway? Because I don't know what kind of rocks the Kirame Stones are, so I'll hand wave it because I'm not a gemologist, but I feel like you got to do more than just like polish them up to, uh, you know, to make them not be brittle anymore. But I could be wrong. Yeah, that I that I don't know. I do know that the you know the alternating heat and freezing would definitely work to to mess them up. Oh, yeah. Um, 
but I I don't know much about you know cutting or buffing yeah. gemstones. I just I just know like that's what messes up the uh, the roads out here in Sweden because some winters it gets to like negative twenty one Celsius and then it'll just be normal freezing or even like you know five degrees Celsius the next day and uh, boy <laughs> some of the roads do not care for it. There are all these special formulations. There's, like, red stretches of highway, because they found, like, this one kind of stone that is red that is, like, extra flexible and soft or something like that. Sorry. Yeah. But, uh, that's why. Anyway. If, if, you're, if you live somewhere where the temperature swings, that's why your roads probably suck, unless you have governors or, or government that, uh, believes in using tax dollars to improve infrastructure. You know, like, because that's a really crazy wild thing to do. Stares directly at the camera. Yeah, yeah. Man, look, I just, all I know is I've been through Alabama, where they... I worked. Yeah, I I know nothing about, like, how much money they spend on the roads in New Jersey. I just... (laughs) <laughs> that's funny spend ro- spend money on the roads in new jersey that's gotcha. that's hysterical gotcha yeah um hey infrastructure pretty good comma actually <laughs> anyway let's move on before uh hey actually before we move on everybody take a drink <laughs> yeah just just getting that one in there um i do think it's funny that the freezer burn monster just uses so much power that it eventually flops face down on the ground for a nap mid-fight, because I feel that. Yeah, look, look, we all been there, because I know when when I... Alright, I'm not great about keeping on my fitness, but when I get back into the, into the swing of properly exercising on the reg, the free, first few weeks are just like wanting to pass out and nap in the middle. Okay, thanks. <laughs> Uh, I walked six miles yesterday, so uh, it's a big move. Yeah, yeah, no, that'll, yeah. God, I was glad when Fire just told everyone to shut up when they mistook Drew passing out from exhaustion as choking mid-fight and a sign that he needed to train harder. Right. Ugh. Still side-eyeing Sayo, who literally had just come back from giving the kid a medical examination from passing out from exhaustion, and then was like, oh, well, if he was tired, why didn't he say so? Yeah, especially since... Like, you you should be able to tell you're a doctor. Yeah. Also, even, even honestly, even if she wasn't a doctor, um, it was all of you training him in succession for, like, four hours apiece. Yeah, he's tired. <laughs> Because, like, look, I real I realized Girl had to go real hard to be a doctor so young, but honestly, that's even more of a reason why she would know how it's not actually good to run people that ragged. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, studying that hard, it's very romantic, it sounds good, actually much less effective. It will kill you. I'm not, like, even taking... Even taking the stress and the death out, it's actually a much less effective way to study or exercise. Because if you go that hard that long, it's like your brain starts shutting down. Your body starts shutting down. You can't, you as a human being, 
unless you have built up to that kind of training over the course of multiple years and have a lot of, of strategies for how to manage it and you have tuned your body and your brain in a very, very certain way, you're like you're gonna undo all of the progress. Like, even if it doesn't kill you, even taking that fact out, you're gonna undo all your progress. So don't go that hard. <laughs> It's not good for you. Please, sleep. Sleep. Please, children. Listen to me. I'm your mom for a reason. I'm not your dad, I'm just like, I'm your mom's weird friend, but, you know, I agree. Like, sleep. It's good for you. I appreciate that we've hung on to the chiming sound anytime a Crystallian laughs. Yeah, that's really good. Like, it's just such a cool detail of that race that I'm just glad they have kept it and haven't forgotten about it anytime they film a new flashback. Also, I just like Oridan more every time they bring him up. Because yeah. not only is this guy, like, constantly for his people, and at the first sight of a threat is like, give me my sword, I'm gonna fight the army myself. The dude does so while physically and mentally exhausted by giving his all to use his skills in order to better the lives of his people. And I know I just went on a whole thing about sleep, and you should. And he should. Because he needs to recover in order to take care of his people. But I'm sure he's, you know, he's trying to balance that as best he can. And he's still like, give me my sword, I'm gonna fight the army myself. Yep. Like, that should be the thing leaders do. And that idea should not be so wild and radical, but it is because the world is terrible. And I'm just living on the idea of a leader that cares that much. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Someone in charge who wanted more than to just be recognized as the person in charge. Ugh. All right, first everyone take a drink, and then we're going to move on because I'm going to depress myself if we keep on this. Or I guess I would, but like the world already depressed me. Because like you said, Sono, it's, it's terrible. Why? Why? Uh, but for, for a much more fun and goofy bit. I do adore Juru, who is a 17-year-old in hospital PJs, going up to a pseudo-government facility. Like, nah, it's cool, I work here, really. <laughs> like, these poor security guards, because I feel like they have to know about the Kira Majors. It's what their entire organization is built around. But, like, why would they recognize him on site, especially when he's not in the uniform and doesn't have a changer? Like, these poor guys are just trying to do their job, and this kid shows up, and then the big evil train shows up and shoots at them? Yeah. Like, poor guys. Yeah, I just, I feel for them. Yeah, same. Same, like, I've, I've worked security. It's not a great gig, but I just, I honestly just want these guys to become series regulars. Sort of like uh, the fishermen in Inoue series who, who are always beset by monsters. Inoue fishermen, Sanjo security guards. Come on, Sentai, let's do this. It does feel ever so slightly forced, but I like the setup of Juru like, asking Garza the same philosophical question about helping people that Oridan did in order to set up kind of a direct conflict between them. It was a little forced because he's like, well, let me ask you a question. Um, but still, I think it really works, and it gives Garza more of a reason to care about fighting the Kira Majors beyond just, well, they keep beating the monsters, 
that other guy makes, since honestly he barely seems to care about that as like a larger thing. I mean, he. It's just kind of an extension of what he's doing. He did like give one of them the the energy drink and just be like, "Oh, hey, by the way, that's gonna kill you." Ha <laughs> ha! Like it's not just that he doesn't care. I think he. I feel like he has active antipathy towards most of the Marskmen. I like the setup. I think it's a good setup for making that conflict feel like something because, man, I keep thinking of what's-his-face from Lupot and how he had, like, a thing with Kyrie that was definitely not a thing. Yeah, it was not a thing. Because he was in, like, three episodes. Yeah, it, oh. Zamigo, that was it. That's his name. Yeah, but, yeah, it just... He wasn't there. It wasn't a thing. But, hey... We're like, this feels like a yeah, thing. this is a real thing. We have a reason for Garza to hate Juru. It's it's been a minute since we had that, and it's it's nice to see it. And again, for a supervillain motivation, he's got a great one because it's hey, this is basically my big brother reborn, or it's his replacement little brother, which is his replacement me, which means I want to double murder him because he's my brother. And my brother's replacement for me. So, mm, like, it's such a great, simple, stupid supervillain motivation that is also so entirely understandable. I just, I really hope we get more bosses that other members of the team can set up rivalries with. Oh, yeah. Because that'd be, that'd be amazing. And we never get that. And this crew, frankly, deserves it. Yeah, it's... You know, it's been a hot minute since I've done this, so, you know, take a big shot. Uh, this is a thing I really love about Bokehenger. Sakura was basically the only one without a regular antagonist, if we're not counting her ongoing internal struggle with her own self-worth. And Akashi didn't even get one of the main, like, villains. Because the, the, the old priest guy and the evil cat robots were like, the main, main villains, and then, you know, the other groups were important and did just as much, but Akashi's was, like, the dinosaur people, which was the least interesting of the groups. I'm glad you said it. It's just, it's, I mean, they They are. are. It's just interesting that the red got the least interesting villain group, and, like, the yellow, like, the, the cheerful, childish girl yellow got set up against the, like, the priest who was the biggest villain, aside from the sixth villains, because he was the sixth. Also, I just... I I just, I would love to see that sort of thing again. Yeah, same. And I I just want to throw out, though, that I imagine the reason Sakura doesn't have any, like, antagonist groups is because if she ever thought one of these people was going to start becoming her antagonist, she would special ops them in their sleep nothing would be left of them. Yeah, that's why the only thing she could continually fight against was her own insecurities. Because, yeah. again, a favorite episode over here is just, uh, hey, remember that time when no one could transform and all the guys were kidnapped? Yeah, Sakura brought assault rifles. <laughs> and, like, it's so... Okay, yes, we we have a lot of complicated feelings about guns, but I'm also at, like, well, in the episode where no one has superpowers, she has the next best thing, and that's just, 
I think that's charming. And, like, the best part of that is it's not even out of nowhere. That had already been set That's up. true. That's true. It just... It's not out of nowhere. Like, it's just... Yeah. We, don't, we don't find out that she's special ops until later, but she... Like, they play the, the word game early on, and all of her answers are guns. <laughs> Um, and th- there are a couple other little things like that, but, like, she's set up to be someone who knows about that. So when she busts them out, you're like, oh, okay, you really are prepared, aren't you? Oh, you weren't just, like, you're not a hobbyist, are you? <laughs> this is this is a thing you do. Just so great. I love Sakura. I adore Mabushina rolling Juru's changer along the railroad track in order to transform him. Because um, it, it's an active means of defending her friend, which is great for her to have. And it's also really cool foreshadowing that we were going to get a neat train as the new thing. And also, okay, and I can't believe I'm the one going to bring this up, but all I could think is how much of a Bokenger move that is, because their, their, tra- their changers also needed the little little friction thing. Yeah, I mean, look, Bokenger remains the greatest of all time for cool engines. Yeah. Like, Akashi doing it up the villain's sword, uh, there was a, like, lives in my soul forever. Yeah, there's a couple times where they, like, someone's, like, shooting a bullet at them, and they deflect the bullet with the changer, and the friction from the bullet turns, like, turns the little wheel on the changer, and that's what makes them transform, and it's like, sorry, that is sick as hell, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like... We peaked for Sentai Transformations in 2006. Sorry. Yeah, no. I mean, I want to fight you, but I can't. Like, on that one, no. Like, there's there have been some cool henshin poses. I'm a, I'm a big proponent of uh, Gokaiger, just the Gokai change. Oh, yeah. But that's just nowhere near as cool. I love the Gokai change. Like I, I love I love the sequence of the Gokai change. I love the, the, the XXV. That cut that like hits them and like puts part of the costume on them. I love that. I love it. But man, we peaked in two thousand and six. There are good ones. There are even great ones. But Bokenger's the best yeah, at it. No one, no one touches it. Uh, but you, rolling back to yes. your major, um, the resulting train chase after Juru like gets the new train and he takes off in it, and then Garza gets in his train. Like, that was really cool and fun, and it was short, but it was such a neat use of those vehicles to show how much faster the bullet train is compared to the steam dinosaur. And I just wish we did more things with vehicles more often. Again, that was a thing Bokenger was great at that no one else does. Looking at you, Gokai. Yeah, Gokaiger, they're just like... Gokaiger, but why why does Don have a race car that you never use? Yeah, they don't, like, they just turn into the robot, and that's it. I mean, my my theory remains that they were all Aka Red's team's stuff. Um, And I'm gonna gonna hold that in my heart forever, you can't take it from me. But, uh, they're just in the boat, and we never address it. But yeah, it was it's it's just such a fun, exciting little chase, and honestly, they do a good job working with speed in these episodes, and I gotta give love to that. Cause that can be tricky. Yeah, it's it's not easy. At least I can't imagine it is. I've never actually tried, but I mean, I've I've never done it in anything live action, but I've I've had to convey speed 
just in comics, and it's hard. Having a good sense of motion where everything is still very visible and coherent... Yeah, it's tough. ...is difficult. Yeah. Um, so as bugged as I am by everything else about the setup of this arc, the payoff of Drew standing up for himself so that they understood how much they hurt him, and not just passively accepting when everyone apologizes... And then everyone rallying around to support his way of doing what he does. That felt good. Yes. That was a nice end to that conflict. Even if I'm still mad that he's like, but it was good for all of us in the end. No. But I at least I at least appreciate that he was like, yeah, that was awful. Yeah. Y'all should be ashamed. But like, don't don't reinforce this. Like, why did you have to both sides it, Sanjo? Right? Because like, look, sometimes you can just say hey, we all learned our lesson, we're sorry we did you wrong. Because, like, I, I imagine the intention is to kind of show us that Juru's a cool kid that understands these things, which, honestly, that's all the both sides you need. Because he can just, like, hey, we're sorry. Hey, guys, it's okay. I get it. Don't do it again. Like, whatever, just apologize. Juru can thank them for apologizing, and then we can all move on, and it doesn't have to be a big thing. Like, honestly, I don't think that scene would have bothered me at all if there hadn't been several sequences prior in these two episodes of people being like, but you got something, like, a good thing happened because they did this to you, so you should just accept it. Yeah, which, Because mm. that feels like he just accepts it. Where, like, if you cut those out entirely and you don't change that scene of the apologies at all, where he he still stands up for himself, and then is like, but hey, this all worked out, so we've all learned a lesson and can move forward, and now we have a train. That would be fine. I would be 100% fine with this scene if those other scenes didn't exist. Yeah, I, yeah, I think you're right there. It, the context of it just, mm, not great. Because it's... Because if it was, if those other scenes didn't exist, it would feel like Drew deciding to forgive them on his own, like, decision that he believes they have learned what they did wrong. Where having those other scenes just feels like he internalized a bad message. Anyway, moving on, yeah. But there is a level on which I adore the fact that Juru has not rehabilitated Smog Steamer before using it for the new robot. <sighs> Like, he doesn't even kick Garza out of it, or lock him out of the controls, or, like, take the part that he's not in. He just takes the whole robot and is like, hi, I'm using this. It's really good. And, like, look, I really, really, really don't want to lose the awesome train dino. Because I think we, we both agreed from the off that that's a great design. And it's just, it's one of the best Sentai Mecha, and to lose it would be a crime and a shame. Honestly, even if they color-swapped it into white, which is what I thought they were going to do, that'd be a bit of a bummer. So instead, the way they handled it was just, was just really good. And I also appreciate how much using it has got to get under Garza's skin, question mark? Because that's basically just his big brother coming in again, taking him out taken over, telling him what to do. Which is like, another really subtle and very clever way to go back to the feuding siblings thing that these episodes have going in them. And, again, 
look, I know we started out going pretty hard on Riku Sanjo here. And that's why I keep wanting to highlight that when he's good at stuff, he's real good at stuff. I, I realize that... Yeah, he's he's really good at siblings that are angry at each other. Yeah. That's, like, one of his biggest strengths. And look, like, that's a great thing to be good at. Man, sibling relationships are tough. They can be, anyway. Man, just, like, the bit where Garza, like, tries to attack the robot with the <laughs> robot, and Juru just disconnects to let him hit the monster instead before taking it back over. Like, that was really fun and funny and clever, and I'd love to see a much longer fight. I can't believe I'm saying this because I so often tune out the robot fights. I would love to see a longer fight in King Express where the two are wrestling control back and forth from one another while Juru tries to fight a Marks Beast and Garza tries to fight the Kira Majors. I think they could get some really fun choreography out of that and do a really fun robot oh, absolutely. fight. Probably one of those things where the person in there is going to need to take a nap in the middle of the fight because boy that'd be a lot of a lot of suit acting in the robot suit which i can't believe is terribly easy but at the same time seeing it done right seeing something that bulky pulling off a takaiwa seiji special a la deno and just swapping who's piloting the robot mid-action while doing all the fights that would be really sick, dude. <laughs> yeah. And also, like, it's a pretty good-looking robot. Like, maybe a tad bulky in the shoulders, but it's still pretty solid. And, like, I'm charmed by its big, dumb sunglasses, so I kind of can forgive the shoulders because it's got something cool and weird. I Honestly, I'm a sucker for robots with giant shoulders, so I was, I was just fine. But honestly, I just think those... Dumb sunglasses highlight who made it. Because Juru is definitely a kid who'd want sunglasses on his giant robot. Especially one that bright. Oh yeah, you know, you gotta protect your eyes. Yeah, not to mention, you know, make sure everyone knows, hey, this robot, this robot's pretty cool. You can tell because he wears sunglasses. Much like the, uh, oh goodness, what was the dragon one in, uh, Xiaolongbo's dragon... In uh, Q Ranger. Oh God, what was it called? I don't remember. It was really bad, <laughs> especially a dragon with style. It's just like, hey man, uh, dragons are always cool. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just that's just a fact. You don't need to put sunglasses on a dragon. That's that's gilding the lily. So one last thing, um, calamentality is great. Oh, yes. That's a that's so good. Like it's hysterical and it's this really fun opposite for Kira mentality and it's it feels like a much bigger reveal than it should be. Like it it feels like a much bigger deal than I feel like it should be on paper. Yeah, cuz I mean and I'm just I'm just really excited for what it brings to the table. Agreed. Agreed. And also I'm just I don't know how much of that is in the original and how much is in, like, Overtime's translation choices. But I just want to say, if that's something they came up with at Overtime, that's amazing, and is right up there with Imagination Station's subs of GoGo5, which 
sadly are, are now lost in time, like Tears in the Rain, because uh, Gogo 5 is officially licensed, and you should support it that way. But I, I bring up Imagination Station subs because they called the monsters Catastrophenes. Yeah, that is epic level wordplay. I that is for me that is on par with calamentality. Like I, it's it's kind of clunky to say, but in a good way. Just like Catastrophenes. Just it's a catastrophe, and they're fiends. So ah, it. I just I like when subtitle people can come up with with the proper things i know like we're we're trying to find a way to do in sparkle ration that that is like getting the things down and i respect that that is real hard because <laughs> kira Mekin is mm, that is not a phrase that translates easily into english but kala mentality yeah that's it's so good especially since like it it also works on the level where where the l and r sounds are so close so like they practically rhyme except just one is key and what is ka that's that's really good that's it is it's it's there is some really good wordplay going on yeah. there and uh i mean look like i want to pretend i don't like puns but i just don't like bad puns, which I know for some people will be a, uh, a repetitive statement, redundant statement. There we go. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, but man, I love me a good pun. Look, I like when the pun serves a purpose. Yes, as they do here. Anyway, so do we have any final thoughts other than, like, you know, we have some clear opinions about what Riku Sanjo is good at? Um, I'm just curious where this is going. Yeah, because things are just getting more and more intense which is yeah. pretty impressive for what yeah episodes seven and eight i like this thing where reiwa sentai apparently is just like hey what's up we're slamming on the gas <laughs> which yo y'all know i'm here for it yeah look keep up you gotta keep up mm -hmm. but uh i guess then for all of us here at laser needs and the rest of the Toh! network I'm Aleph. And I'm Sam. And shine on, you crazy diamonds. <laughs> <laughs>